0: Hello and welcome to Media Mouthwash. I'm Daniel Bentley. I'm Joseph Stashko and this
1: week we're looking at the latest data dump
0: from Wikileaks. We'll be hearing from Sarah Hartley who's a community strategist at The Guardian and what they're up to in terms of hyperlocal platforms.
1: And we've got all the usual items of the week as well, GAF and App of the Week.
0: Which are returned to their rightful places
1: yes this week we thought we'd send them back back into the comfort zone no it didn't work last time it didn't no um, so without further ado let's move on to the news item of the week which this week is wikileaks publishing the inverted commas global intelligence files the global intelligence files which are emails from the
0: private intelligence firm stratfor which i didn't know about i'd never heard of them no. And Five million be, emails. Yeah, and it'll be news to many people that there are
1: private companies out there who collect, you know, global intelligence. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting because I'm just reading a story about this on the Next Web technology blog. According to a French journalist, uh, Olivier Teske, I believe that's how you say it, he says they're a notoriously banal um, intelligence company and he used to work for ONI, who are a who used to be one of WikiLeaks' partners. So he's probably quite close to the story in that way. Interesting to see this kind of thing come out. Obviously, more things will come out. I'm sure the media partners that WikiLeaks have collaborated with this time around will be publishing lots and lots of stuff over the coming weeks. They were hacked by the anonymous group of hackers
0: and then given to WikiLeaks. So WikiLeaks hasn't actually done any hacking on its part. You wanted to raise a point about the point I wanted to look at was one raised by Peter Bowman, who writes for The Observer and Guardian. He said that there's an ethical conundrum being missed by media commentators on this, which is that when News International hack emails, they're evil. When WikiLeaks Anonymous hack them, they're good. Yeah, And I think he has completely missed the point in that there's a very clear public interest difference yeah. between a private body which concerns itself in monitoring and snooping on people all around the world yeah. and that being done by an anonymous group of hackers rather than a newspaper mm-hmm. snooping on people's personal emails
1: yeah because i mean no one no one pays anonymous and there's no boss of anonymous who you know issues dictates saying you go off and investigate this because i deem it to be you know so kind of thing, yeah, um it they've kind of done it all of their own free will, and that's how they operate, so anything they ever do anyway shouldn't really be sa- subject to the same kind of scrutinies as um something from a newspaper because they're not even a company, yeah, and they are breaking the law, yeah, I mean right? that, but that's, so so they're breaking yeah.
0: the law and hacking these emails, yeah, but who are they you're never going to know, yeah. And they're giving them to WikiLeaks. So there's no evidence of incitement or yeah. anything by WikiLeaks to do that. They've just been given to WikiLeaks so that they can be you know, s- spread among their media partners.
1: So we'll put all the related links up there for you. Um, obviously, the original statements and any kind of good um, analysis and articles that we find about that. Um, feel free to let us know what you think. And It'll be interesting to see if there's actually any good
0: stories in there. As may, you can have four million emails, but yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, it's going to be there's, there's been a few snippets. That are like, oh, that's interesting, but so far, not many real big stories that they've launched. Yeah. With, so that might come out in the next few days.
1: Yeah.
0: So regular listeners will know that every week I have a gaff brought to you by various media organisations who may have cocked up this week or. Done something naughty, made an error, and What is it this week? This week's the same as last week's. A double gaff. It's a double gaff. Double gaff. So last week there was uh, you know, a lot of what's going to be in the sun on Sunday, Murdoch's new Sunday edition of The Sun, and people were expecting probably something a lot more spectacular than what was actually produced. And there's not a lot to it. It was sh- only shocking in how m- quite dull it was. Yeah, really. I think that
1: was the problem. Is like you know, I'm not, I'm not a Sun reader, but I can at least kind of appreciate the form and the understanding of, you know, kind of shock and tabloid journalism. But it just seemed really safe. And it was tamed I mean. by the Sun standards. It was yeah. extremely tamed by News of
0: the World standards. Yeah. But it was tamed by like just weekday Sun standards. And uh, Kelvin McKenzie was on Andrew Marr this week, and he said as much. It's like yeah. I want, I want to see sleaze on Sunday, and <laughs> this is like really playing it safe. Yeah,
1: I mean it's interesting because a lot of the you know Sundays. Or I mean, I read the Observer and the Sunday Times, and they're both separate publications to their sort of you know obviously the yeah Observer, they're not so with the Guardian, but so
0: they're not just the seventh day. They are no, no, in no, their own right. In their
1: own right, and. For me, those two papers do really well on a Sunday because of that, because yeah. they have the whole week to kind of work towards and, you know, probably work with their sister paper on some level as well and and pick up on what they're doing and then chase them up for more in-depth features and, and better investigations on a Sunday. And I think that that's the key to a lot of really good Sunday newspapers, the fact that you, you're almost working to sort of short deadline magazine style, you know, you have the yeah. time to go away and develop things and... If because the Sun Sun Sunday doesn't seem to be as separate, is that going to be the case with it? So the the quote that
0: I think summed, summed up best is Matthew Engel writing in the Financial Times. And he describes it as timid, mumbling, joyless and dull. In the British market, seven-day-a-week journalism has been an expression of despair, a triumph of accounts over editorial... No Sunday paper has achieved real success when produced as this one is by weary daily hacks for whom it is just another shift. We might see a change in that because yeah. Murdoch only announced it to the Sun team last week. Yeah, yeah, it might improve. It I mean all this didn't help. You know, it didn't hurt its sales. So, yeah, sales a big one They're over uh, three million. Three million.
1: million.
0: Yeah. Now you, you need to on. give that a few months to settle down. Yeah. Because a lot of it's going to be just bought out of intrigue. Yeah. Uh, I just thought next Sunday's would be significantly less. You know, it's going to stable off after a couple of months or so. Yeah, Saturdays. well, I mean,
1: Murdoch said on his, uh, via Twitter, that he'd be happy with anything over 2 million. So I'd say he was pretty on course for achieving I'd that. I'd say, yeah,
0: he's, he's on course for achieving that. I mean, all he needs to do is ramp it up to the quality that in the news of the world was. Yeah,
1: so there was an interesting blog post on this, actually, which didn't kind of tackle head-on a lot of the things that the other commentators are going about, which is kind of more obvious targets. Um, and it's written by Ben Whitelaw, who's the community's editor at The Times. He talks about how he read The Sun on Sunday, and he's basically realises how many of the stories are pegged as exclusives, and kind of lists off quite a few of them. And then he starts to kind of question what exactly an exclusive means, um, and he always thought that involved a story containing original material just by one publication. And then how do you go about categorizing them? How, if there's so many, does that decrease their value? Are newspapers just doing it for sales now? Do they have reason to believe that people might read these articles more if you put exclusive over the headline? Um, it just raised an interesting thing of maybe why we read things and what an exclusive means in the modern age or how people are treating that term and, and whether people actually pick up a paper anymore because it's got exclusive on the front page. It, it, is,
0: it is all but meaningless, except when you see it. Maybe you know on the, on the front cover of a Sunday, you see exclusive on the front page. Yeah, you know that's going to be generally yeah. something uh, quite actual, exclusive. Yeah, proper story. Or when it, it goes onto the broadsheets. Yeah. So if there's a, an, an independent exclusive, a Daily Telegraph exclusive, whatever, I think right, yeah. that's definitely going to be. Yeah, they've done something. Because yeah, then that's like MPs' expenses or yeah. WikiLeaks, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we'll put, um, put a link up to Ben's post. You can have a read of it yourself. It is well worth a read. Yeah, it's good.
0: So I went to the Digital Editors Network meeting this week at Salford Keys, the new Media City building. Actually, it wasn't at Media City. It was by, right by it. Really great meeting. Uh, if you want to find out more information about it, I think digitaleditorsnetwork.blogspot.com is the URL. Cool. Um, they The great events to go to, uh, only uh, on a donation basis yeah. to get in, and some really good speakers there. One of which was Sarah Hartley, who is the Guardian's community strategist, and she's involved in their project called Notice. Uh, some people may know what it is, some may not, but it's a web platform location specific news updates it's, it's a notice board it's yes, called notice it's but, and it's, it's a notice, a notice, a notice board. board so you can do what you want but it's geographically tied yeah so say i've got a chest of drawers yeah and it, in that respect it can operate sort of on a craigslist bit or gumtree sort of thing i have a chest of drawers the app or website knows where i am people in my area can see that i have a chest of drawers they can take it yeah but if I run a hyperlocal news site, I can push my no- s- news stories onto yeah. Notice, and then people in the area can see that there's a news story going on yeah. I- in their area. Uh, and I know a few people use it that way, and that's what they're trying to, to build, is, is sort of a, a, a platform that people can use rather than the website. So someone who can explain it a lot better than me is Sarah. So here she is. How did Notice come about?
2: Yeah, it's an online and uh, mobile notice board, and the mobile bit's quite important. It it started life out of a hack day project, which was trying to find out how you could surface what's happening near you uh, on mobile phones, so how how you could both find and report news using your mobile. So that started back in 2009, um, and things evolved and changed, and the sort of current iteration around notice boards, Uh, we started last June and we launched into beta in October.
0: And so what's the focus of the service going forward?
2: The service at the moment, obviously, we're still in beta, so we need to uh, expand out of beta at some point. And at the moment, we're actively seeking people to be API partners. So when we open up our API, they'll work on new projects and new ways of using the technology that we haven't, you know, that that aren't us, that are their developments on that.
0: And is there an opportunity for journalists to? either through referral traffic or through advertising, sort of monetize the content that they're putting on notice?
2: Yeah, if we become what's called a notice board owner, i.e. set up your own notice board, um, you can set up uh, that notice board to look and feel like your own sort of property if that's a local blog or something. And then if any uh, paid for advertising is placed on those notice boards, uh, the notice board owner gets 85% of the revenues we take from 15 percent now don't forget that advertising is essentially free people will be paying for premium listings
1: okay so we've reached the final item of the show and it's the regular uh, app of the week and i'm back running it as, as usual again after last week's train wreck so, Excuse me,
0: I think you found that Software so, Data Cable <laughs> had a vast increase in downloads after last week's Medium Outlook. I think it
1: did. I think it did. So, this week, uh, the app of the week is undisputedly Storify's newly released iPad app. It was released on February 22nd uh, after a lot of buzz um, from Storify and saying that it was going to be their biggest announcement ever since going um, into public beta and lots of people speculating on what, what it might be. Some people thought that MSNBC might have bought it. Some people thought that Twitter might have bought them. Lots of things going around. And then finally, um, Storify pressed the button at about 8 a.m. British time, so midnight in America. Yeah. Um which was quite good, so, and yeah, it was an iPad app they've been working on it for seven months, and it's it 's pretty great and you blogged about this in about an hour didn 't you yeah 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 i was I was up um, <laughs> yeah, um well no i I was really interested because I was you know i've 've been a big uh fan of the sewers for ages, and because of all the hype, I was just really interested to see what they had planned, and so I figured i'd just i 'd be online when they they announced this, and then it was the iPad app I said, well. Things it's there, and I've just downloaded it. I might as well blog about it a bit. So, yeah, I reviewed it, and the kind of standout feature is the fact that anyone who's ever used Storify has known that it's very kind of drag and drop. Yeah, you drag one thing from where you're sort of looking at media into your story, and it's great for an iPad because that's pretty much all you ever do on an iPad you drag things around the screen and you use you know tactile things. So, that kind of thing has been replicated, and it's really, really good. I made a kind of test story. How meta is this? I made a story about Storify launching on the Storify iPad app. It's, uh, you it's won the internet with it's that k- one. the kind of thing that I do at 8.30am. 8, 8 um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's really, really good. And I think that while I don't think that it will be suitable for really quickly doing stuff um, that you might do from a, from a laptop, that's not really what they want it for. I, I could see it being really good at a conference, maybe if you're not professionally covering it, but maybe if you're just there and you just want to collect some stuff, um, yeah. um, really casually, basically. And it's all about the casual use, I think. It's getting the people who aren't really hardcore and don't use it all the time to just put together a few photos in their spare time and then publish. That's so.
0: that's the problem I found. I power tested it um, at Digital Editors' yeah. network. Um, and I tried to live blog the whole event using it. And it's really not suited for the, for the speed at which um, those tweets were coming in and no. doing it on a live basis. Yeah, it is much more better for like doing a roundup post after yeah. maybe. But I thought I'd give it you know a road test and see if it could yeah, be used yeah, for that. Yeah. And I found that I, you could you could do it if you were dealing with a sl- uh, yeah, s- a, slow a slower thing. Event. I was yeah. dealing with like six speakers in five hours, loads of tweets flying in, loads of really good points being made. Yeah. And there was just a few little glitches with, like, Twitter sure. refreshing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But, I mean, the app is slick, really easy to use, and it would be really useful if, you know, I was just there. Yeah. You know, if, if I was just there at the conference and I wanted to blog about it later, I'd I'd, I'd sit there on the Storify app on my iPad and just save some of the tweets and then maybe go back later and yeah. add embellishments to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's
1: it's a nice way to save some tweets later if you want to yeah, blog about them. And there's also the fact that you can tweet from inside the app, which I thought was actually the neatest touch out of all of it, because it encourages you to stay there. Yeah. Um, if you're using stuff from Twitter, you can just keep going, and you don't need to switch apps, which can be a bit painful sometimes in the iPad because you never know whether it's going to retain what you're doing or not. I would recommend it, and... You know, aside from a few glitches, uh, which have kind of come up in the early days of testing, which I'm sure they'll work on fixing. Um, It's on the the Apple App Store. It's just for iPad only. Completely free. And it's app of the week. Well, thanks for listening. That was
0: Media Mouthwash. I hope your breath is fresh with media minty goodness. If you want to get in touch, how can people do it, Joe? You
1: can check us out on Tumblr, .tumblr mediamouthwash.tumblr.com. On Twitter, at MediaMouthwash. And you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud too.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another Media Mouthwash.